0: Be in here. He's all alone. He's gone! Sensation at Webley, from Sunderland and Fabio Marini! Phillips. And still might. Phillips is clear. Kevin Phillips!
1: The nationwide league player of the year is now the nation's leading scorer of the season.
0: right in there go to it. Hello. and
1: Porterfield
0: oh Porterfield has scored and Sunderland the underdogs are in the lead he's on the far post the Clark hits the cross and Quinn wins it Niall no Quinn is there again Charlie White trying to get out to that
1: Hello and welcome back to the What Folk Wembley special. It's a podcast we all hoped and prayed that I'd be able to do and those prayers definitely have been answered. But hopefully something can go one further this Saturday and finally move out of League One by beating Gareth Ainsworth, Wickham Wanderers in the playoff final at Wembley. There'll be about 40,000 plus WSR as roaring us on and about 20,000 Wickham fans getting behind their team. But there's just one of each today, as we welcome returning guest and editor of the Wanderer fanzine, Johnny King, to preview a game that's massive for for both clubs. But firstly, Johnny, how are you this lovely Sunday morning? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Graham. How are you doing? I'm still reeling from the fact that uh, we got beat in the Eurovision. Second is is last place, isn't it? So I'm still a little bit devastated. I mean, it's all right to get beat off Ukraine, fair enough, but I'm still reeling from that mate. But apart from that, yes, not too bad. Um, I think, as I said in the intro, obviously the game's massive, that doesn't need to be we spoke about, but I've said it about four times anyway. Um, how are you feeling with sort of five or six days to go?
0: Yeah, pretty good. Excited, um, obviously. Bit of nerves as well, but it's mostly excitement. Um, you know, if you can't get excited about a League One player final against Sunderland, then go uh, and watch badminton, I think. Like, it, it, it's kind of a bit of a, it's going to like I'm playing mind games, but. I think for Wickham, it's kind of like um, there's nothing to lose because obviously with the underdogs, everyone expects us to lose. I think probably a lot of Wickham fans expect us to lose. So it's it's a game we can kind of just go into and see what happens, you know. And if we don't win, I think Wickham fans will be pretty chilled out about it. So, um, yeah, just kind of just want to play it now. just want to play it tomorrow. You know, it's a, it's a shame we've got to wait another sort of five days or whatever, but
1: well, if we had like a 9, 10, 11 day gap between the playoff semis and the, and the final, I don't, I don't, it's just stressing me out more if I'm completely honest with you. Um, yeah. I think as we always do, obviously we start from the top and we normally look at the most recent game, but in, in this instance we'll look at recent games. We obviously beat Chef Red over two legs. Your side obviously was really impressive and the fact that you overcame, in my opinion, one of the best sides in the division in MK Dons. How impressive were the performances between those two legs? Um, yeah,
0: the, the the first leg in particular was um, a really good performance um, and we kind of did kind of, it was like the perfect kind of performance you want. We were quite good going forward, really resolute at the back. Um, we, we would have taken a 1-0, I think, but to to, to get a 2-0, it, did, it didn't kill the tie off at all. People always say, it's, you know, it's the worst scoreline to take into a second leg, but um, it really... You know, bearing in mind this is Milton Keynes side that did the double-O rush in the league. Um, It gave us a, so much confidence going into the second leg. And, and even though we probably knew we we would struggle in the second leg, it that it just gave us that breathing space, which, you know, ultimately was was just enough to get us through. Um Second leg, it was a real back-to-the-wall job and it was a bit more of the kind of like, you know, what what a lot of people's probably perception of Wickham is it, you know we did run the clock down and we did kind of try and kill the game as best we could but you know sometimes you just, you've got to do what you got to do and um, it was you know it was pleasing particularly against against that lot as well I was glad we did that
1: It was funny because the game itself was like we Chef Wed and going to sound arrogant again but it's fine was billed as like the huge playoff game and there's a few people that said oh it should have been the final and I kind of get I understand that from a perspective of the whole, the ground would have been 40k, 40k and all that kind of stuff. But nonetheless, that was the one that was talked about quite a lot. Whereas Wickham versus MK Dons was like the clash of the two styles. And I looked at some of the stats from the second leg, which is really interesting. I think actually it was you that posted it. Obviously, MK Dons won the game 1-0 on the night, which is technically a defeat. But looking at the stats, it was 29 shots from MK Dons to Wickham's 2, 69% possession of Wickham's 31 87% 87% pass accuracy to wickham 59 and 18 corners to one. The first leg was was far closer statistically, even though that was 2-0. But ultimately, you've won the game over, over the two legs. Is that evidence that, even as unattractive unattractive as maybe Wickham style allegedly is, that Gareth Ainsworth ball does work really well for you?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the same stack got brought up before the 2020 League One Final when Oxford were like top of the you know table for all everything and we were we were bottom and i think it kind of goes to show that all that kind of stuff i'm not saying doesn't have any bearing but it does kind of go out the window in these games that they're like they're like cup games Um, they're like fa cup games where you you know so many times you see the 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 better footballing side struggle Um, you know i think over the two legs we showed we can play different ways and and we have evolved under Ainsworth and can, we can get the ball down and, and, and play when it's appropriate, but um, clearly we were set up very differently for that second leg because we knew it was going to be a different type of game. Um, I suspect to be honest, going into this final Sunderland fans might want to strap themselves in because I suspect we'll probably, it'll be more like the second leg. I think we found at the Stadium of Light in the league this season, if we try and out tippy tap Sunderland, it's, it's going to go very, very badly for us. So um yeah, it might be a bit more sort of direct and physical at Wembley, but um, yeah, you know, I th- yeah, the, the the two the two playoff games, uh, the two semi-final games, did show we've got we can kind of mix up how we play depending on what the situation requires.
1: I heard Gareth Ainsworth classed as the master of the dark arts. Is that a, a compliment or is it a is it something you're offended by? I'm not offended by it. I mean, you know. It, it's true we
0: we I I think all teams do it and sometimes you hear people talk about it as if their team never does it um I think if Man City do it in the Champions League then it, you know every, everyone every every team does it at some point and we kind of all love it when our team does it a bit and hate it when it gets done to us and I understand that and I do understand that yeah we can definitely do it more than most um I get, I'm not offended by it. I, I mean, yeah, sometimes I wish we maybe did it a bit less, but then also I have to recognise that we've got where we are playing that style of football. I mean, the season we nearly went out of the Football League. We tried to play great stuff. We really, we really did try and get the ball down and play. And we nearly went out of the Football League and we were getting beaten up by teams like Stevenage and Northampton who just kicked the crap out of us and scored one goal and defend. And that, following season Ainsworth was clearly had thought about it a lot we went into the next season a lot savvier a lot more kind of streetwise and we had like instant results because within the space of 12 months we went from staying in the football league on goal difference to reaching the playoff final so I'm not I'm not I'm not bothered by it and fans are absolutely absolutely entitled to kind of point it out and yeah no one likes seeing it done to their team and all I can say is, you know, as, as long as it's within the boundaries, I think, you know, we're not going out to like try and hurt anyone or anything like that, um, you know, like the old Wimbledon side. But, you know, there's just there's different ways of playing football. And at the end of the day, we're out there to try and win a game of football. So we'll do whatever
1: we've got to do. Absolutely. I think the big thing for me as well is um, maybe not the same because some other guys obviously managed England. We're talking a different league as well. Yeah. Um, but when Sam Allardyce was with us, there was a lot of the direct, oh, he plays direct football, he does this. And it was some of the most enjoyable football I've came across because, hey, we were we were winning games in that six-month period. We looked like we had a an idea and an identity. And it does create, like, a, a siege mentality. Is that kind of, from a Wiccan perspective, is that a huge benefit that most people think, with all due respect, Wiccan play shite football and they're just do those in-swinging in corners and you surround the, the goalkeeper if, if you think everyone thinks we're, we're shite and think we're rubbish at football that's actually siege mentality that's kind of fine we'll just continue to do it because it works
0: yeah I think definitely Ainsworth make, makes all that work to our advantage and he does create a very good kind of <clears throat> he fosters a great team spirit and an us and them mentality and, and it it definitely has helped us over the years um, yeah it, and uh, yeah, and and I and I do I do understand that other teams don't like it, but but it is it is effective, and even though teams know we're going to do it, there's very few teams have found out how to counteract it. And you know, it's partly because we're punching above our weight. To be at this level, we're punching above our weight. Most of our football league history has been spent in the in the fourth division, so just being in League One is kind of above where maybe a club of our stature should be. So it's. This is kind of what we have to do to get out of League One, the, the right, you know, at the right end. Um, if we were down in League Two, I'm sure we'd be getting the ball down more and playing. Um, and if we do do go up up to the Championship, we'll probably have to dig in even more because it'll be, you know, even more, um, you know, better sides.
1: With Wickham itself, obviously, you we're discussing the way you play and things like that. And it's funny, I was chatting to, you, obviously, I had the Chef Wed preview before the game of the the two legs. And we'll chat about style of playing. Um, we chatted with the, the chef web preview show a guy called James, great guy. And we'll chat about style of the play as you always do, and the way that teams work. And um, as said, the James said, "Look, obviously we're both probably sides that like to get down on the floor." And in regards to the way Chef Wedd play, you get the ball on the floor, and Darren likes to play football. What do you struggle against? And the answer was, we struggle against Wigan um so we really struggle against that and I thought well fair enough and there's a few teams that do struggle against the more physical sides I think we have done especially under the Johnson but for Wickham what do you struggle against what are the kind of sides that unfortunately you can't seem to use your standard style against and you come up against a bit of a brick wall
0: weirdly enough every time I've seen a struggle of, of late it's been against sides that basically do the same thing what we do um I'm, I'm specifically, Wimbledon immediately popping my head because we've always seen, I, I can't remember the last time we beat them. I mean, we've, I don't want to sound sort of really arrogant, but they're not a good side. They've never been a good side when I've seen them. we've always struggled against them. Um, we've always struggled against teams like Stevenage. Um, even this season, we came up against them in the League Cup and struggled against them and, and it, it's like um, that Wickham fans talk about Wickham being out Wickham quite a lot. Um and Wimbledon are really, really, really effective at that. Um, a team like Sheffield Wednesday or Sunderland who get the ball down, of course, there's more technical ability there. There's more, um,
1: you know, they're, they're attacking attacking
0: players and are able to kind of work up their way through our
1: defence. But um, I didn't really want to come on to it, but I'm going to because we spoke about it off air anyway, so I might as well. And there'll be a lot of Sunderland fans' interest and I think a few Wigan fans as well. But your chairman released a statement last week which referred to Sunderland as a Netflix club or something along that lines. It wasn't well-worded. We both kind of agreed with that off-air. Um, obviously, that's going to raise eyebrows on Wearside. Um Obviously, we were kind of like, what? Where's that come from? Um, but I noticed on the flip side, as soon as I spoke to you and saw a few sort of quote tweets underneath it and sort of replies to yourself, your fans weren't too impressed either. We're about four or five days after that came out. What's the feeling around that in the Wigan fan base, the statement?
0: Yeah, it's an interesting one.
1: So... I think yeah, like like I said to you at the time, I was
0: really surprised that Rob Coog would say something like that because one, he's very careful about how he talks anyway. I mean, the guy's a lawyer; like he doesn't like <laughs> not someone who runs his mouth off. Um, but he's also—I've always been impressed how respectful he's been. I mean, obviously, we've had a few issues, you know, like in 2020, Peterborough, um, Darren McAntony threatening to sue clubs who didn't vote the way he wanted, and the, the controversial debate. Um, the, stuff, the ongoing stuff with Derby County and, and, and you know he's he's had kind of some really shocking abuse online from Derby County fans and it's and he's been able to kind of just sort of rise above that so it seemed really out of character for him to come out with something like that and so the interesting thing is because it was a bit of a weird sentence it said like what was it a, a club that is a Netflix show which kind of isn't a sentence That statement is still up on the website um, I must admit I haven't actually checked this myself, but I have been told it's now been amended to a club that has a Netflix show, which I mean the damage is done, <laughs> like it's not going to cut any ice with a lot of Sunday fans, I'm sure. But that kind of makes sense to me that maybe we are literally just a really unfortunate typo. Um if he was trying to just demonstrate the disparity in size between you know this club has all these fans, it has a Netflix show and the other one is Wickham. That makes sense and that in itself, I don't think there's anything wrong with making that statement. Um, So, because it it would be so out of character for him to come and and, and say something like that, I kind of am prepared to give him the benefit of the doubt that it was simply just a really, really unfortunate typo, but I fully accept there's going to be a lot of of Sunderland fans who probably aren't going to buy that. But um, Genuinely, like, yeah, I came out straight away, and lots of Wiccan fans did, and said, "Oh, this is like, this is really embarrassing. Like, once he done that, he needs to apologise or clarify it. It would help. <clears throat> Excuse me. It would help if Rob did clarify that it was like a type or whatever. But, uh, uh, yeah, I am happy to give him the benefit of the doubt because it. I, I don't know him well, but I've met him a couple of times, and he's 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 a good guy. He, he is a good guy, and I, he. He's quite, he's always quite respectful when he talks about other clubs, even clubs we maybe don't have a great relationship with. So, you know, I don't think there's really any bad blood with Sunderland. So, I don't know why he would say something like that otherwise.
1: Yeah, it, it just seemed out of no way. I tell you what, I was quite interested in. Obviously, you can't speak for anyone else, right? But let's just pretend we can get in that Wickham dressing room. How do you think the likes of Gareth Ainsworth and the players might have reacted to that? Because it felt a little bit. If, it was, if the shoe was on the other foot, like if it was our chairman doing it in another way, it would feel like like red rag to a ball. Like you're kind of like yeah. doing the team talk, I suppose. So how do you think the team would react to that when they're seeing it? Do you think that's a bit like, oh, no.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, I don't know how much the players and stuff look at stuff on the website, but I'm sure they, if they did hear about it, they would kind of think... You're not helping us. Like, let us just sort of go out there and, you know, don't don't rile them up. Don't give, you know, don't give them a team talk for them. Um, I mean, yeah, and it's certainly if it was the other way around. I mean, I know, you know, Gareth Ainsworth used in the 2019 2020 season 442 predicted, did a predicted table of Wickham bottom. And Ainsworth just pinned it up on the dressing room wall. And I think also he might have even used pinned up copies of uh, tweets that other club's fans made about us during that season as well just like this is what everyone thinks about you go and prove them wrong so yeah we definitely have used that stuff in the past and I wouldn't blame uh, Alex Neal if he kind of uses that as well but I, I really hope we would never intentionally go out to offend Sunday because say what you like about Wickham I think we're generally pretty sort of respectful to other clubs and quite quite a humble club in, in the best possible sense
1: Yeah I think I said like off-air didn't I, I said like to you before last week when it first came out was like it seems like a bit of an un-Wickham thing Um, Now, while Sunland are classed as the form team, obviously no defeat in 15, um, which is great. You ended the season 12 games unbeaten. You had a real wobble in February, but you haven't really looked back from there. What do you put it down to?
0: Um, I mean, there there was a definite tactical switch. We were playing three at the back, um, which had worked for us. It worked for us sort of, we switched to three at the back halfway through the championship season last year and had a much better second half of the season, ended up nearly staying up. Um, carried that into this season, we were a little bit inconsistent first of the season, and then we had that bad run, switched to four at the back, and that kind of just coincided with, yeah, that 12-match unbeaten run. Whether it's as simple as that, I don't know. I, I also think it was more potentially just actually having a more settled back line. We had quite a lot of disruption with injuries and we couldn't seem to always have put out the same defence. Whereas I think, um, yeah, I think we've pretty much had an unchanged back line for sort of the last few months now and I think that that, that's helped as well, just a bit more kind of consistency.
1: In reference to the game going back, it's interesting you mention that because obviously he scored in the game, which is going to sound weird, but it always surprised me that Jacobson played on like the left-hand side of a back three because he's one of your most potent attacking weapons. Weirdly, just his quality of ball into the box is one of the big reasons that your big lads can be physical and they can get in the box. Has that benefited as well putting Jacobson back to left back? Yeah, I think if you sometimes Wickham fans get a bit worried about him being in a fullback position just because
0: he's you know thirty-five now, I think, and he he, he never had, he didn't have pace when he was in his twenties, so. Um, you know, even less so now. And and I think sort of Wiccan fans like to see him come in field a bit because even though he's not the biggest, he's not having to run. Um I mean, yeah, his, his delivery is useful, but he never really kind of did the bombing down the wing and getting in and crosses. It's more he'll up the pitch if we get a set piece. But I'm I'm perfectly happy having him at having him at left back and and we kind of almost been playing like 4-4-2 with Jordan Abita, who was playing left wing back as just converted into a left winger in front of him and that's gone really well and beat has had a real kind of um, purple patch over the last couple of months
1: looking at obviously the game at the 3-3 obviously there's been two games this year it's had plenty of goals in but especially the 3-3 Adams Park which obviously we discussed after the game and stuff but there's been plenty of changes at Sunday not least our manager um, probably our style of playing and the, the way we're playing at the moment you've already mentioned the formation will be different for yourself but what other differences can we expect from them? Um, I think probably we won't see
0: Wickham showing as much in attacking endeavour as we did at Adams Park because I think just because of the occasion and because it's a kind of a winner-takes-all thing. <clears throat> the, the, the biggest worry for me is we're probably not going to have Mameti or Brandon Hanlon, um, who both picked up injuries, and I think that's really going to limit us going forward. Um, those are our kind of two... Attacking sparks really, aside from McCleary. so that that's part of the reason why I think we'll probably see a bit more kind of long ball, kind of old school Wickham maybe in the final, um, because we don't we won't have that creativity in the middle, um, and we won't have anyone really to call on from the bench should we need it as well. So yeah. you know, our, our substitute striker is going to be Fenry who's just turned forty years old. So I think we'll kind of set up in a in a way that will suit him so that, you know, that will suit Sam Vokes and then we can just seamlessly swap them over, you know, when the time comes.
1: How big of a blow that Mometi's out? Because obviously he's seen that you most attack and threat, you most kind of, the player's going kind to of bring the most creativity, both times have played you.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he's fantastic for us. He's a very kind of unwickham player and, and, and him kind of forcing his way into the first team has evolved our style of play he's I, I think there, there's an, a very slim outside chance he might be fit enough for the bench but I think we need to prepare to not have him in it and, and it's just it's just the way he links midfield and attack so you know he, he's someone who can bring the ball out of midfield he's happy to take players on try things out and and it but I think because a lot of teams are so used to Wiccan playing a certain way you, you've you got that but then you've also just got this like little guy who just sort of dribble it around for each players so it it kind of lends a bit of sort of unpredictability to our forward play um which if you take him out in the equation we we we're a bit more predictable a bit more route one so yeah there's it's it's a, it's a real blow and if and if he's by some outside chance makes the bench that will that be that'll give everyone a real lift
1: touched perform plays that are going to make a difference my is obviously The player for me that would have made a big difference, he's the one that stood out. But I think Sam Volkes is a name that many Sunland fans will know. He's played in the Premier League for Burnley. He's played successfully for Burnley in the Premier League. He also didn't have the best of time at Stoke. However, nonetheless, he's a player that people know from his time at Wales as well. Um, He has been your stand-up player this term, if you look at statistics alone. 16 goals, I think, in the league. How big of a say is he going to have when it comes to this weekend?
0: Him, I think the partnership of him and McCleary is going to be key because... Um, like I said, we've got our first-choice front two in those two, but that's it. So we're kind of relying on them to kind of make the breakthrough because we're, I, we're not necessarily going to see goals from elsewhere unless it's from a you know a set-piece one of the centre-backs or Jacobson. So they're going to need to really be on it. And I mean, it's it's insane that we've got Voges playing for Wickham. He's, a, he's kind of the sort of player I'd expect to see playing for Sunderland, really. Um, he looked a little bit kind of, rusty when he came in which is probably understandable because he barely played at Stoke um and he's just got better and better as the season's gone on he he, he did start the season a bit poorly but um he's got better and better and, and, and he really seems to be hitting form now so he, yeah he's going to be our key player up front him him and McCleary have got quite a good little partnership because he's yeah the big target man and McCleary's the kind of more sort of he's not small but he's pacey um so they're, they're a good handful, but it is slightly concerning that you know they've got a combined age of about 70, I think. And then if something goes wrong with one of them, we'd bring in on a 40-year-old. So it's, there's, not, you know, not, there's not a lot of legs up front, shall we say.
1: Yeah, it's funny with McCleary, because McCleary, I kind of didn't realise he was, I think, 34, 35. Yeah. Um, feels like he's been around, but not for that long. Um, but he is 34, but he's still got plenty of pace, still caused plenty of problems, and he's getting in a lot of people's Team of the Year, McCleary is obviously a, a player that I'd also looked at as someone who's potentially dangerous between Volks and also Mometi, but who, unfortunately for me, the name Adebayo Akinfenwa with six goals to his name and 40-year-old playing his final Wickham game and his final game before his retirement, does really worryingly for me have a story to it. and I don't like that. That is my big worry, if I'm completely honest with you, based on nothing but superstition and just it potentially being a story. He is unlikely to start this weekend. I think he will come on at some point, especially if you're you're chasing the game or you need a goal. How much of a say can actually have in the game? Does he look like he's winding down? Does he look he's 40 years or is he still making an impact when you you need him to? Uh,
0: Yeah, I I kind of
1: thought in the Championship,
0: I mean, I think the Championship, with utmost respect to the guy, the Championship was a step too far for him and he he did struggle, partly because he he played a lot more football at the start of the season than Wickham had planned for. We bought in... Uche Piazu to, to lead the front line, and Bay was going to be an impact sub. Uh, it Piazu signed for us immediately got injured for the first half of the season. So, with no other option, Akinfenwa played like started nearly every game and played a lot of ninety minutes. Um, when he was playing, he was all, he, he was playing on a knee injury, and I think that caused him a lot of problems. And yeah, just just the championship was a bit too much, and I did wonder if he'd retire at the end of that season, but. This, yeah, I think you can see, you can definitely tell he's he's ready. He's ready to hang up his boots. I think, and by that I don't mean that he's not putting the effort in. I just mean you can you can see looks tired. Like you'll come on for twenty minutes and 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 be really blowing by the end of that twenty minutes. But he can still he's because of the sort of player he is. he just needs that one ball to like just land right on his forehead. You know he, he can't move, but you like ping the ball right at him. There's you know there's he's one of the best in the business at getting a header on target. And you know when he comes off the bench, when he's been coming off the bench this season, if we're chasing the game, there's a bit of me that thinks well, oh, can't can't really see him pulling it out of the bag. But I mean he has done, and uh, you know he, he's got us out of danger. Uh, you know the game, the away game at Wimbledon is a perfect example where it just looked like it's going to be one of them days where we're going to lose one nil, and he he came on wasn't getting anywhere, getting any joy and then late on just the, the right ball comes into him and it's, it's in the back of the net and, and yeah. that's what you can do.
1: Six goals, not a bad return considering how little he's actually played in terms of minutes. Um, mm. On to Sunderland as always, as I always like to do. Um, obviously the game, as I said, it's enormous, massive. I've said all the big buzzwords that indicate the game is quite big. Um, you've sold in a really impressive 16k at the time of speaking which sounds patronising and I said that beforehand but you are a smaller town than Sunderland and historically a smaller club, 16K is much bigger than what you'd normally get. Um, it's a good amount of people to come along. However, it does still mean that we have double the amount of fans that are going to be in the ground. We've sold, at times, time speaking, over 40,000 and I think we want more. Um, how important do you think the crowd swing could be in regards to the game?
0: Yeah, I think it will, it will definitely help. There'll be, yeah, no doubt, probably we've got potentially three times as many Sunderland fans. Um, and, you know, hopefully, you know, we don't want to see Wembley empty. So if you, if you can sell the tickets, then fair play. Um, I'll be surprised if we could sell more than 25,000. Um, so I don't think any Wiccan, I've not seen any Wiccan fans saying don't give them any more, like, we'd rather see Wembley full. We kind of used to being outnumbered, so it, I don't know how much it will really, like, have a bearing on the fans. Yeah, I think probably the players are used to the Wickham fans being being outnumbered, so it's not... I'm sure it, it does help and I'm sure the atmosphere is going to be great and I'm sure that will lift the Sunderland players if that's all they can hear. Um, but I, I think the Wickham players are kind of already conditioned to not really being able to hear what Wickham fans are singing. It's just a bit of a shame, but, you know, it is what it is.
1: Such as life sometimes, isn't it? Um, Ross Stewart, obviously the player that I know is going to stick out like a sore thumb for you. Four goals against Jason, one really harshly chalked off at Adams Park. I'm going to say five. Um, but we are on form. As I said before, 15 games unbeaten. We're not doing too bad ourselves. We've come through two really good games against Sheffield, which you you may or may not have tuned into. Um, From what you've seen this on and outside of, obviously, the games that weren't too long ago in January and, and August, I think, which players are concerning you most going into the game on Saturday?
0: Yeah, funnily enough, the player that's always kind of really stood out for me even more than Stuart is uh, Embleton, who I really like. He's my favourite. I say he's my favourite sometimes player. Not when he's playing against Wickham. It scares the shit out of me when he's playing against Wickham. But um, I, I really like watching him play. I, I really enjoy watching him play. I mean, obviously, there's also the boy, Luke, who is he's back now. Yeah, he's fully fit now, which is good to see. Yeah. Um, broadhead as well. He, I, I, I've been less aware of him in terms of watching him play. I'm, I'm more aware of just keep seeing his name cropping up with like late goals um, over the last few months as well, where you kind of had that run where you were like, it looked like Sunderland we're going to lose. And then like you just see Broadhead 94 or whatever. Um, so he concerns me as well because he's clearly a player with battles to the end, which like I was saying, like if he's got those qualities, those are the kind of qualities actually we seem to struggle against more than kind of your classic good footballers. So, yeah, it's, it's just, yeah, basically just going forward, you really worry me because you've got this insane, you've got a championship level, <coughs> excuse me, you've got a championship level attack where, you know, what will be interesting is, I think it's fair to say, maybe there's, there's still a few issues with Sunderland at the back. Um. So, yeah, you've got, you basically you've got a fantastic attack against what is quite a solid back line and then a, an attack that doesn't score enough goals and is doesn't have a lot of, Um, reserves to call on against a defence that sometimes is good sometimes is a bit leaky so it's going to be quite well matched in that sense
1: In reference to I think I asked this question a few times sort of going back over the past few weeks specifically since February give or take and um, Sunderland have obviously changed manager, which yeah, I don't need to tell anyone who's listening to this, but I think I speak for a bulk of Sunderland fans here, and I never say that, but I think I am speaking for the bulk of Sunderland fans. The change of manager certainly makes me feel a lot more confident about winning Saturday's game under Alex Neil and it would have done under Lee Johnson. But on the opposite side of the fence, do you fear Alex Neil's Sunderland more than Lee Johnson's version?
0: Yeah, I, I think I do. And I, I thought Lee Johnson and Sunderland were. Were good, I mean, started the season so well and looked great at the Stadium of Light, and then just seemed to go through a really inconsistent patch. And I, I mean, I don't know why, but um, when even so, when when you got rid of him, I kind of thought, oh, I don't know, like it's not like you're struggling exactly, just a bit inconsistent. But and I'm not a big advocate of like chopping and changing manager, which Sunderland seemed to be kind of in a bit of state of doing, but but Neil's a great appointment for a start, like for someone like that to come down to this level of football is a real coup. And his experience, I think it's probably been a big help in in, in steadying the ship and, and getting someone to be so, so consistent towards the end of the season. Just like, you know, like machine-like, just getting the one nils battling to the end. Um, battling to the end of games to get late winners and late equalisers. And that's what you want at this level, definitely. And <clears throat> Yeah, um, he, I, he, he's a great appointment for you I kind of, I kind of wish you'd waited until, waited until the summer to bring him in but hey-ho um, yeah he, he's made you a def, definitely a, a, a different animal coming into this game and because I, I quite fancy Ainsworth in terms of how he's able to kind of take the emotion out of games and just stay calm and set out his game plan and I think he, he, that often gives him a bit of an edge over most managers but I don't think it does against Neil I think that's that they're quite evenly matched on that front now
1: yeah, that's one thing I don't worry too much. I feel like Ainsworth would definitely have something on Johnson. Mind, I'm not Lee Johnson's biggest fan. Um, on the flip side, I'm Alex Neal's biggest fan. Bit of the show, I absolutely hate asking because I have got five right this season, which is slightly better than last year's. tally of four, but there is a 46-game season, including the playoffs on top. Um, I'll give my prediction first, and I'm going to regret saying this, but I am confident. Don't know what it is, I just am. Um I'm going to say, oh, and I'm sorry in advance, Johnny, I'm going to go 3-0 Sunderland, but I'm going to give you an opportunity to bring me back down to reality here.
0: Well, I don't know about reality, but um, I, I I can see a scenario where that definitely happens, especially if you score early on. Um, I'm hoping we will be more resolute than that and we will grind out a very frustrating uh, say 1-1 one, one draw and it, we're going to take it to penalties um, and obviously I'm going to have to say that Wickham would triumph on penalties although I don't know if we would but I'm going to claim we will
1: Johnny thanks as always for, for popping on um, enjoy Saturday but obviously not too much um, and yeah should be a great occasion and if you listen from a Sunderland perspective get behind the lads which I'm sure you will if you need a ticket there's a thread on My Twitter page, which is at What The Fog Pod, where there's spares going up and people looking for spares. Um, Don't care if you've never been this season. Don't care if you've been every game this season. um, Just go get behind them and and, and sort of sing as much as you can. and, And enjoy the day and try and be as calm as you can.